This episode of Health Gig is part of the Evolution series powered by Paragon. We are working with Paragon Performance Evolution to bring you a special series of incredible speakers which have been hand-selected from their network to be our guests on Health Gig. Paragon works with companies to bring in authors and thought leaders who can help implement hands-on programs which focus on transformation, integration, and greater awareness. They blend the best of modern science, human behavior, and timeless wisdom into all of their programs, which is why we are so supportive of the work they are doing in this world. We are thrilled to be collaborating with Paragon Performance Evolution for this very special series and so happy to bring these conversations to you. The 2020 Co-Mindfulness Summit is almost here. Join us on Saturday, October 3rd, live on the BBNR Wellness Consulting Facebook page for an all-day wellness event you won't want to miss. We have Dr. Roizen joining us from the Cleveland Clinic. You most likely know him from the U Manuals he co-authored with Dr. Oz. He is also the creator of the Real Age Concept and is a great friend of ours, and we can't wait for you to meet him. Siri Lindley, world champion triathlete, two times over, I might mention, and coach to Olympic and Ironman champions will also join us from Boulder, Colorado. She, too, is a great friend of ours, and we are so excited to have her join us at this year's Co-Mindfulness Summit. We are very honored to be joined by Dr. Vivit Murphy, the 19th Surgeon General of the United States and author of the New York Times bestseller, Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. This is such an important topic, probably more now than ever before, and promises to be an engaging conversation. And you won't want to miss Dr. Mark Hyman, who will talk to us about how best to build our immune system to fight COVID-19 and so much more. Join us on Saturday, October 3rd by visiting comindful.com. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Today's guest on Health Gig is Dr. Michael Bruce. He is a board-certified sleep specialist and author of three best-selling books. Dr. Bruce appears regularly on the Dr. Oz Show, CNN, The Doctor, CBS, This Morning, and Huffington Post Live. He contributes to the Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and the Dr. Oz Blogs. He is the official sleep expert for Princess Cruise Lines, where he helped to develop the Sleep by Princess program and the Princess Luxury Bed. So welcome, Dr. Bruce, and we're going to call you Michael to Health Gig. And we just want to get started with finding out a little bit about you personally. Who are you, where you're from, and how you got to be the famous sleep doctor? <laughs> well, thank you. That's a lovely introduction. And I'm very excited to be on Health Gig. So thank you both for having me. So my history is kind of an interesting one. I'm a unique type of sleep specialist. So first of all, I'll tell you a little bit about me personally, and then I'll tell you a little bit about how I kind of ended up becoming a sleep doctor. So I'm 52 years old. I live in Manhattan Beach, California, but I didn't always live here. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I was born and raised there, went to school there, did my undergraduate work in upstate New York, and then got my PhD at the University of Georgia. I'm a bulldog. I have a bulldog in my family. <laughs> oh, there we go. I love it. I love it. So yes, I am a full-on bulldog. <laughs> when I was at the University of Georgia, it was interesting because I actually wasn't studying sleep, believe it or not. I was getting my PhD in clinical psychology, and I was actually doing an emphasis on sport psychology. So I wanted to be a sports psychologist and work with, you know, like the Atlanta Braves and teach the pitchers to throw better and bat faster and all these wonderful things, right? 
And so I was studying this for quite a while and getting involved. And when you're in clinical psychology, you have a residency, much the same way a medical doctor has. And so I had applied for all of these residencies. And it turned out that the best residency for sports psychology in the area that I was interested in, which was sport and eating disorders, the best one was actually at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Now, I'm from Sandy Springs, Georgia, and I got no problems with Jackson, Mississippi, so I was pretty <laughs> excited about hanging out over that way. But unfortunately, only the people that went to Harvard and Princeton and Yale got into that program because, quite honestly, it was the top program in the country. I went to the University of Georgia. I'm not ashamed of it. Top 20 program, but it wasn't Harvard, right? So here's what we discovered is at this program, they had a specialty track in sleep. So I had worked my way through graduate school working in the Department of Electrophysiology. So if anybody out there has ever had a child who liked to take apart the telephone and put the telephone back together and always had a few extra pieces lying around, I was that child. That was you. Um, yeah, that was me. And so I actually worked my way through graduate school doing that with big pieces of medical equipment. So I know how to take apart EKGs and EEGs and all these things. Again, I just like body signals and that kind of stuff. And I didn't think anything about it it turns out that the sleep machines are identical to all of these machines that I had been working on for years. So what I decided to do was I was gonna sell myself as the sleep guy to this program and then transfer as soon as I got there, right? Because just because you tell me I'm not gonna get into your program doesn't mean I'm not going to get into your program, <laughs> right? Right. So I sell myself as a sleep guy and they accept me and I get to Mississippi and they're like, okay, you can't transfer yet because you're our sleep guy. So we want you to start in the sleep program. I said, no problem. Sleep sounds interesting. I mean, I do it every night. How tough can it be? By the third day, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine. And I knew I was never going to change what I was doing. I help people like this. It's unbelievable. In traditional clinical psychology, it can take months. It can take years to see treatment gains with things like depression, anxiety, bipolar. I mean, these are very long-term things. Sleep, you change somebody's sleep, you change their life overnight. It's miraculous. So where do we start? What do we tell our listeners? Because so many have said, we're so excited about this focus that we're doing today on the podcast. We can't sleep. It's elusive to us. So where do we start? So first of all, right now, is a difficult time to sleep for everybody. Let's just be very, very clear here, okay? Everybody who's listening, if you're having sleeping difficulties, you're normal, okay? <laughs> let's, just, let's just normalize that behavior right here, right now, okay? Arguably, I don't think any of us have ever been under the stress that we're under currently because it's a different kind of stress. I'm not just worried about my health. I'm worried about my parents' health. I'm worried about my children's health. I'm worried about my coworkers' health. And then I'm also worried like, what does this mean for my career? What does this mean for my friend's career? Like this is an entirely new type of stress that we're all dealing with. So number one, that's gonna cause us to have lighter sleep because of this anxiety. And it's gonna make us have really weird dreams. So I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but we're now calling it quarantine dreaming, believe it or not. <laughs> and what's happening is, is our anxiety is playing out in our dreams. So one of the reasons that people dream, what we call dream theory, it's a rehearsal we think in terms of like getting through emotions and helping you process through things. Believe it or not, the old adage of sleep on it is actually a really good idea because we consolidate our memories during REM sleep. We get our physical restoration. So it's really best to make some of those decisions when we get out of sleep. But unfortunately, people are just not following their sleep schedules 
and they're doing a bunch of things that I think are throwing them off. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to give people five-step method that we can all start tonight to be able to get better rest. Oh, that you guys would be great. Cool yes. with that? Yes, That's great. So step number one is to pick one schedule in terms of a wake-up time and stick to it. What does that mean, Dr. Bruce? Yes, that means I want you to wake up at the same time, even on the weekends. Dr. Bruce, what are you talking about here? I want to catch up on my sleep. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Our bodies function the best from a circadian rhythm standpoint. That's our internal biological rhythm with consistency. Our bodies do not function well when we have inconsistency. It turns out that the entire anchor, if you realize one thing from my entire talk today, it's that when you wake up, the timing of your wake up is the most important aspect to your sleep. Even if you had crappy sleep all night long, I would still want you to get out of bed at the same time. So let me tell you about what happens to me. I naturally wake up at 6.15 every single day. It's crazy. And when I open my eyes, it says like 6.12 or 6.14. It makes me insane, but my body is used to it. And my body also knows when to go to bed. I haven't had any coffee this morning. You see how much energy I have? It's ridiculous, <laughs> okay? And by the way, I go to bed at midnight and I wake up at 6.15. Hold on a second, sleep doctor. I just did the math. That's only six hours and 15 minutes and you're the freaking sleep doctor, right? Right. It's due to my consistency in my sleep. So eight hours is a myth. Because I go to bed so consistently at midnight, my body's done at 6.15. It doesn't actually require more sleep at that point because of that level of consistency. So the biggest thing you can do is wake up at the same time. Okay. Step number one, pick one wake up time. Step number two has to do with caffeine. I'm going to be honest. We're all drinking a little bit too much caffeine these days. I'll tell you why it's happening. It's happening because we don't feel so great. We're going from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting. We're not moving. And so what happens is we feel fatigued. We're thinking, okay, I've got three minutes in between Zoom calls. I'm going to run. I'm just going to fill up my cup of coffee. And then you filled it up again. And then you filled it up again before you know it, you filled it up four times in a day and you're drinking a lot more caffeine than you normally would have. Here's what's interesting about caffeine. Caffeine has a half-life of six to eight hours. So whenever you had your last caffeine, eight hours later is when only half of it is out of your system. Wow. Wow, yeah. Okay. Right? Like that's a biological function. Now here's what's interesting. Some people are fast metabolizers. Some people are slow metabolizers. Some people have caffeine sensitivities. Some people don't. So I've got people <laughs> out there and here's my recommendation. Step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Oh, come on, Dr. Bruce, you're crazy. I can have a cup of coffee at dinner and I can sleep just fine. So let's talk about that. So this is where these sensitivities comes into play. Also, here's the thing to remember. Even if you can fall asleep with caffeine on board, if I put electrodes on top of your head, the quality of the sleep that you're getting is crap, okay? I'm just letting you know, caffeine is a stimulant bottom line. That's just how it works. And so when you introduce a stimulant into the system, it's going to have an effect. So step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. if you can. Step number three has to do with alcohol, right? There's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out, right. okay? <laughs> and everybody's having wine time now much earlier than they normally would have, at least historically. And you know what? We're stuck at home. And so people are saying, you know, we bought that great bottle of wine or so-and-so gave us that gift last year. Hey, let's crack it open. And I know everybody's like, oh, I've just thought about that bottle of wine. You know, people are like, I want to crack that open and try it. One glass, fine. Two glass, okay. Once you kind of get past that, 
different things happen from a body standpoint. So first of all, thing to realize here, alcohol is the number one sleep aid in the world. More people use alcohol to help them fall asleep than any other thing. To be clear, it's the worst sleep aid in the world, okay? Several different reasons for this. Number one, alcohol lowers stage three, four sleep. Michael, why do I care about stage three, four sleep? This is your physical restoration. Number two, specifically during times now, and I'm very clear on this, the data suggests alcohol reduces immune function, period. More alcohol on board, less immunity. We're at a time where nobody, I think, can afford to relinquish any extra immunity. So again, thinking this through, I get it, you wanna relax, I get it, you wanna chill out. There are a lot of ways to do that. Don't go overboard on the alcohol because it's definitely gonna have an effect. How can I drink Dr. Bruce and still sleep? Let's figure that out. One glass of wine, have one glass of water, wait one hour. Two glasses of wine, have two glasses of water, wait two hours. Once you get past two glasses of wine, different things can happen on the body level. Number one, it can become excitatory. A lot of women in particular, once they get onto the third glass of wine, they get energy from it, not reduction from it. For men, there's been some data to suggest that they can become more aggressive after three glasses of whatever alcohol it is. To be clear, we're under one of the most stressful times we've ever been in in our lives. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to get hammered at home. It just doesn't make sense to do this no. because of some of these deleterious effects to our sleep, which is already not so great. So step number three is to stop alcohol three hours before bed, depending upon how many glasses that you had. Please don't go above two and a half to three. Again, know and understand your own tolerance. Obviously don't drive, things of that nature. Step number four has to do with exercise. The single best way to improve the quality of sleep is with daily exercise. Here's the good news. You don't have to run a marathon, okay? 20 minutes, it's all I'm asking for. 20 minutes of some type of cardio, walking, jogging, running, biking, swimming. I don't care. I just want you to get outside, and get 20, 25 minutes of exercise. It will, I promise you, improve the overall quality of your sleep. You know, one of the things people ask me all the time is they're like, well, why do we sleep, Dr. Bruce? Well, it has to do with recovery. If our body doesn't have something to recover from, our body is not going to sleep well. So when we're not moving, our body doesn't actually require as much sleep, and our sleep gets lighter as opposed to shorter. And that's why we feel worse because of it. So Remember, we're all stuck inside. So our movement has been hampered. I saw one celebrity the other day, they tweeted, I've taken 200 steps and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, right? <laughs> yeah. By that time, I would have taken 6,000 steps normally, right? Because you walk from your car to the office, you walk to lunch, all of these different physical movements that we take for granted, they actually help our sleep quite a bit. So step number four is to exercise daily. However, one thing to remember, if we exercise too close to bedtime, our core body temperature raises. It's very difficult to sleep when you're hot. Many women experience this, for example, if you're in the middle of menopause and having hot flashes, extremely difficult to sleep. Same idea here with exercise. So exercise daily, but step number four is stop exercise four hours before bed to allow your body to have that time to kind of calm down. Step number five actually has to do with how you wake up. Most people don't know this, but sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. Just from the humidity in your breath, you lose almost a full liter of water every night. Every wow. night. Isn't that amazing? That is. And then when you go and you grab a cup of coffee, which is also a diuretic, you become more dehydrated. 
So please, 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 caffeine is not the first thing that you should be ingesting in the morning. Water is 16 to 20 ounces of water, room temperature if you can. And I would say, please put it in a reusable water bottle that you can keep by your bedside. So when you wake up in the morning, step number five is to grab the water and go outside and get 15 minutes of sunlight. So step number five is to give the sun a high five, go outside with your water and your sunshine, and I want you to get 15 minutes, do a little bit of breathing out there. Do me a favor, if you walk out of bed, put on a robe. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, put on a robe. Your neighbor may not wanna see you in your undies, but get outside, get a little bit of fresh air, get a little sunshine. That sunshine turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain. You're hydrating, so there's real science behind every one of these recommendations. So in summary, step number one, wake up on one schedule. Step number two, stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Step number three, stop alcohol three hours before bed. Step number four, exercise daily, but stop exercise four hours before bed. And step number five is to give the sun a high five while drinking 20 ounces of water for 15 minutes every morning. That's it. It's all you got to do. You do that, you're going to get great sleep. I have a question. Can we go back to number three, alcohol? I hear people say they don't drink wine because it's got a lot of sugar and it wakes them up at night, but maybe they'll have a vodka. What do you say to that? Let's spread the conversation out and we'll go from wine to vodka to cannabis as well, because I've got lots of people who are also asking about that, depending upon what state you're in and things like that. Here's the deal. It turns out that brown is worse than clear when it comes to alcohol. So clear alcohols, uh, white wines, vodkas, gins, those have less tannins and less sugars. So those have a tendency to have less of an effect on sleep. The red wines, the bourbons, the whiskeys, those have a tendency to have a bigger effect on sleep because again, of all this sugar. It also really has a lot to do with the timing of your last sip, if you will. Across the board, if you can give yourself that three hours, you shouldn't have too big of an effect, but to be fair, lighter liquor is better. Cannabis is a whole different universe. There are a lot of people who are asking me, like they're saying, hey, cannabis is legal in my state medicinally, or it just became legal in my state recreationally. I'm interested, but I've never learned about that. I feel a little weird about that. I mean, dispensaries, drugs, like all of that kind of stuff. So what I did was I created several articles on my website. Um, so if people are interested, you can go to thesleepdoctor.com and hit the blogs. If you just type in cannabis, you'll see there's four or five articles which will teach you all that you would ever need to know if you're starting to walk down that path to learn more. But here are the basics of it. You do want to have some form of THC, which is that part that kind of makes you feel a little funky, but you don't want it to be very high. Small levels of THC can be helpful in lowering anxiety. What you're looking for is a constituent called CBN not CBD, which is what you've probably heard across the universe. Everybody seems to have CBD and everything these days. CBN is the thing that's been the most studied to help with sleep. And again, this article will give you a full detail on all of that. So can you tell us a little bit more about melatonin, what it is and what role it plays? So first of all, this is one of my favorite topics and I can go deep on melatonin. So let's be clear, melatonin is a hormone. It's not an herb. It's not a supplement, it's a hormone. It is not regulated by the FDA. This is why you can buy it in a store. You could not normally buy a hormone in a store. You can't go to the local health food store and buy testosterone, right, or estrogen, but you can buy melatonin, no problem. Second thing, be careful. There was a study done nine months ago where they pulled, I think it was 10 different brands of melatonin off the shelf, and they tested each one of the pills. 
not one of them had in the pill what it said they had on the bottle. In most cases, it was extra melatonin, and in one or two cases, it was not enough melatonin based on what they said was the dosage. What is the right dosage, Dr. Bruce? Between a half and one and a half milligrams. Now, people out there are gonna say, hold on a second, I've never taken melatonin in that small of a dose before, because usually you find it in three, five, or 10 milligrams. Those are massive overdoses. So the data out of MIT, Dr. Wortman's lab that came out almost 20 years ago, shows all you need is between a half and one and a half milligrams and plasma concentration levels will reach the right part in your brain to have that effect. Third thing to think about is when do you take it? So here's the thing that most people don't know is if you take melatonin in a pill format, you've got to swallow it, it's got to go down to your gut, it's got to get digested, and it's got to get up to your brain. That process takes almost 90 minutes. So you would take melatonin 90 minutes before you would want to actually fall asleep. You do not take melatonin like you take a sleeping pill, like an Ambien or something like that. That's not how melatonin was designed. Melatonin is a sleep regulator, not a sleep initiator. Let me explain the difference. There are two systems in the brain that make us fall asleep. One is called our sleep drive. The other is called our sleep rhythm. Sleep drive is based on the buildup of something called adenosine. Ambien has a very similar chemical composition to something like that, which makes us fall asleep. The second thing, which is our circadian rhythm, it's kind of like hunger, right? So if I get hungry around breakfast time, around lunchtime, and around dinner time, that's my circadian rhythm for hunger. The same holds true with the circadian rhythm for sleep. Most people fall asleep somewhere between 1030 and 1130 here in North America. Melatonin controls that bedtime. So it's different than making you feel sleepy. It's telling your brain it's time for bed. That's what melatonin does. This is the reason why melatonin is so good for jet lag. Because when we go from California to New York, our brain doesn't know it, but our body has physically gone across three time zones. So we need to make up for that. And we use melatonin to help us do that. Most people do not need a melatonin supplement. Most people have plenty of melatonin in their bodies. They're just, because they haven't gone up at the same time every day, they haven't followed the caffeine recommendations or the alcohol recommendations, they're finding that this melatonin is very ineffective, number one. And number two, they probably don't need it anyway. Now, there is an instance, which is interesting, which I think we should talk about here, about melatonin. And that is that one of the things we know is that once you reach age kind of 45 and 50, melatonin production begins to decline. Only in those instances would it make sense to me to say, hey, you should consider taking melatonin on a regular basis in the evenings. And what we would do is we would test it. There are available saliva, urine, even blood tests for melatonin. You would test in the evening to see if you had enough, and then you would be able to figure out what the appropriate supplementation would be. Many people out there think, oh, I'm just going to take some melatonin. What could it hurt? Okay. So let's be clear. It could hurt a lot of things. And so as an example, one of the things we now know, and this is an extreme example, but I'm going to use it as an example just to illustrate. If you were on chemotherapy, okay, so a serious situation on chemotherapy, many people don't know this, but the delivery of chemotherapy at particular times in your circadian cycle can make it more effective or less effective. If you have melatonin on board, you're changing that whole thing. You're influencing your circadian rhythm in a very unique way. Remember, sleep and that your circadian rhythm affects everything. It affects your metabolism. It affects your body's ability to fight disease, all of these things. This is why the consistency in the schedule becomes so critical and so important. And quite frankly, if you just follow recommendation number one, you shouldn't need melatonin. You really shouldn't. 
are you recommending that you stick to these five steps and really probably no supplements are really needed? So let's talk about that. That's a great question. First of all, I do the five steps with people. And then what I do is I look at four different things in the body. I look at magnesium because we know magnesium calms people down and makes them feel better. I look at vitamin D because that is a circadian pacemaker. By the way, almost everybody in the universe is deficient in magnesium and in vitamin D. Just seems to be across the board, seems to be a problem that all of us are having. Then I look at iron in particular for women because we know that women have historic difficulties with iron, but also low ferritin, which is a type of iron, can make people feel like they have restless legs and make their sleep very, very disruptive. So sometimes we're giving iron supplementation. And then the, finally, we look at melatonin, right? And so that's the sleep hormone. So I want to know if that's up to par. I'm a big fan of supplements when you're deficient, when you need them. If you don't need them, I'm not such a big fan. Of but it. what you were saying is that most of us are deficient in magnesium and you talk about banana tea, banana green tea. I do. <laughs> so maybe you could share that with everybody. Of course, I'd be happy to. Because <laughs> it's not really a supplement, it's part of your diet. Exactly. And so here's the thing that we've realized is magnesium, believe it or not, it affects over 300 different functions in our body. But you could eat a bushel of kale and you might not get enough magnesium because our soil has been so over-tilled the magnesium, the mineral isn't coming up through the roots of the plant and then we're not able to eat it because we have to eat the magnesium to get it into our bodies. Magnesium supplementation is probably good for 99% of people out there. As far as vitamin D is concerned, we also know that there's high, high levels of deficiency in vitamin D. And this turns out to help with REM cycles and our circadian rhythms as well. So when I tell people about different ways to get magnesium and vitamin D, obviously vitamin D, you can get it in a pill or you can get it in sunshine. Magnesium, you can get it in a pill, or you can get it from what I call banana tea. So bananas are loaded with magnesium, which is kind of cool, but it turns out that the peel has got three times the amount of magnesium as the fruit itself. So here's what I tell people to do is wash off a banana, just a regular old organic banana, cut off the tip and the stem, cut it in half, leave the peel on and the fruit in it, and drop it into about three cups of boiling water. Boil it for three minutes or until the banana turns brown, and then you drink the water. Now, as my daughter says, it's very banana-y, dad. So you have to like bananas because it's very flavorful. But I will tell you this, it doesn't interact with any medication. It's a great way to get your magnesium. It's pretty delicious. Seniors can take it, children can take it, anybody can take it. And I had one mom and she makes it at the beginning of the week and then she pours it into popsicle molds and then she gives it to her kids as a treat in the evenings and they fall right asleep. <laughs> wow, that is, that's I'm incredible. I'm gonna try that. I, I like, like that can't idea. Wait. <laughs> and to be clear, there's no tea in it. All you're doing is boiling a banana. It's a good way to probably use old bananas. It's a great way to use old bananas. Also, it's great for fiber. So if anybody has issues with constipation, you won't after this. Oh, okay. You know, something Doro and I talk a lot about is what we call bioindividuality. Every body is different. So what yep. nourishes you and Doro, I mean, you know, it's different. How does that relate to sleep? So everybody has a different sleep need. I go to bed at midnight. I wake up at 613. If you went to bed at midnight, you might not wake up until 830. So our sleep need is very individualized. I don't want people to think everybody's supposed to get eight hours. That is not true. That yeah, is a myth. that's crazy because that is what we all thought forever, that we all needed to have eight hours. But you're saying, uh-uh, it depends on you. It depends upon your medical situation. It depends upon your physical situation. It depends upon your stress. I'll give you an example. I work with professional athletes all the time. These are big humans, okay? These are not like normal human creatures. Like these are monstrous people. 
they require significantly more sleep than kind of us average mortal humans, especially during the season. They're so massive. And especially during game days. I mean, we actually see free throw percentages go up with nine and a half to 10 hours of sleep wow. with basketball players. Interestingly, if they sleep more than that, doesn't change it at all. There appears to be a window for that level of performance that seems to hit 10 hours if we can get those guys to get 10 hours of sleep. Now, I'm sure you can imagine the challenges are tremendous, right? They're traveling all over the world. So we've got jet lag we have to contend to. We've got nutritional things. Their bodies are different than everybody else. So there's a lot to it. So, okay, Dora and I were so excited. We took the sleep test. <laughs> we just kind of wanted to tell you. What animals are you? I'm a lion. Oh, I wish I was a lion. Lions are great. What are you, Trish? Early bear. You're an early bear? Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, so let's talk about what this means to your audience so that they yeah. can kind of get a feel for it. Yeah. So what we're talking about are these things called chronotypes. And now to be fair, you've actually already heard of this. You might not have heard of the term, but you've heard of the concept. If you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes. And so my contribution to the literature most recently was we used to think that there were early birds, there were people in the middle that we called hummingbirds, and then there were night owls. My contribution is I added insomnia to that mix. And this is all genetic, to be clear. I can look at your 23andMe data or your Ancestry.com data, and I can tell you what your chronotype is. So this is not Michael made up the science. There's literally over 200 studies on this. I mean, this is a concept that's been studied all around the world. So there are four chronotypes. So we replaced early bird with lion. So I think, Dora, that's what you are, is yeah. you're a lion. Mm -hmm. Now, there are many people wish that they were a lion. There's even people who have lion envy out there. Just I'm so, so that proud. You're I'm so proud. <laughs> I know. You should be, right? So here's what's interesting is lions are my early risers. These are my yes. COOs. These are my people who like to make a list each day and go from step one to step two to step three to step four. They're almost rigid in their thinking, but they're great at managing. They're great at directing. They're great at logistics, things like that. The second category in the middle, what we used to call hummingbirds, we call bears. It's actually better to be a bear than it is any other chronotype. <laughs> to go back historically, if you looked at it from a hunter-gatherer standpoint, these categories have been around for thousands of years. So the hunters would be the early risers. They would go up and make the kill for the village. The bears would be the people who tended to the village, woke up, got all the villages ready, you know, kind of thing. And then the security would be the wolves, which are the night owls. This conceptually has been around for thousands of years. Unfortunately, Thomas Edison decided to mess us all up and he invented that thing called the light bulb. And as soon as he did that, we could work at night, which historically we couldn't do. And so that's where insomnia kind of came into play. So I am a wolf chronotype. So I'm a night owl, have been my entire life. Sometimes that's been a good thing. Sometimes that's not been such a good thing. Night owls like me, we have a tendency to be very artistic. We're the actors and the authors, those kind of people. We are big risk takers. Oftentimes, though, we have insomnia. Oftentimes, we have significant health difficulties. And then there are dolphins. Now, dolphins kind of represent my problem children. They represent <laughs> my insomnia kind of universe out there. And the reason that they are difficult is because they're a lot like lions. So they're highly intelligent. They're very logistically oriented, but they've got just enough obsessive compulsive disorder that it throws them off. And so they're never quite finished with the project. They're never quite done. And it's this anxiety that kind of drives them along. And so what we find is when we stabilize their sleep schedule, 
and we give them an exercise routine to do, we can actually coast them through the day with a lowered level of anxiety and get them sleeping significantly better and feeling significantly better. And what's cool about this whole process is it's not just about sleep, but once you dial in your sleep, I can actually show you the best time of day to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss for a raise, like literally <laughs> you name it. It's all about this hormone ebb and flow and how it works. That's incredible. So if you're a wolf and I'm a bear and Dora's a lion, just by virtue of that, we have different peaks. Absolutely. So as an example, if the two of you are having a conversation, Dora might be very comfortable having that same conversation at 5.30 in the morning. Whereas you couldn't possibly have that conversation at 5.30. You're a 7.30 in the morning girl. And so what ends up happening is, is that because your level of focus isn't going to come into play until then, whereas hers may have gone online much earlier because she's a lion and you're an early bear. So that's the whole thing. So sort of understand each other, particularly partners or that kind of thing to understand each other so that you're not expecting things from each other at, at different times. Here's what's so fascinating. Like we didn't really think this was going to happen. It's turned into a communication tool. What I'm finding is like entire families are taking the quiz and then they're like, oh, you're a morning person. You're not a night person. No wonder when I come at you with a situation or something I want to discuss and it's nine o'clock at night, no wonder we never have a good discussion because you're a morning person. Your brain is turned off by then. And then all of a sudden communication gets better. And when communication gets better, relationships get better. So many times we're like day, night, day, night. And really- right. It's not that binary. Yeah. You know, when I'm talking with people and, you know, looking at the guidelines that I gave early on, right, talking about caffeine, talking about alcohol, talking about exercise, those are daily things that have a huge effect on our nightly process. And remember, how well you sleep at night affects how well you function during the day, right? So the only reason that we all sleep is to wake. Very few people out there say to me, oh, I love sleep. It's all I want to do, right? Most people are like, eh, I do it because I have to do it because I want to spend time with my friends, with my family, with my career, all these types of things, right? And so most people say to me, well, I only really think about sleep at night before I go to bed, but we need to really be thinking about it throughout the day. And so as we look at it, that's when we look at things like exercise throughout the day, caffeine consumption, alcohol consumption, it's keeping a similar schedule. These are all behaviors that are daytime behaviors that affect us nightly. Is that an aura ring? <laughs> it is. Yeah, so yeah, we were going to ask you, what do you think about that? Do you recommend that? Or should we do the whoop? What should we do? <laughs> I was just on a call with somebody else as asking me this. So here's what I can tell you is sleep is a complicated metric. It's very easy to track steps. I mean, honestly, my 16 year old can do that's a calculus problem, right? It's the length of your leg. It's your gait, it's your height, and you're off and running. Sleep is tough. Like if I asked you, how did you sleep last night? Are you going to tell me, well, I fell asleep. Okay. But I didn't stay asleep, but I woke up that, you know, I mean, there's a million different mm -hmm. ways to metric that. So I would argue that none of them are great. Um, out of all of them, the one that I've found to be the most useful for my patients has been the Aura Ring. And I'll tell you why, is because I can actually monitor my patients from afar using the ring. I've got patients all over the world. Their schedules are crazy. So what I can do is I can actually log into my computer and I can see their sleep in another part of the world and then be able to send them information about what I think they need to change. Neither Dora and I do those, but constantly are thinking about it. Yeah, we keep wanting to get one. I'm just worried that I'll get way too into it and then be stressed out. 
So that's called orthosomnia. Okay. Um, and so there are people who are just data wonks, you know, and they just yeah. get so into the data, um, then they can't see it and they think about it all the I'll time. I'll be right? the opposite. I'll forget to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be wondering why I'm wearing it. You two are quite a pair. I yes, like the two of you. are very different. I like mm -hmm, it. Um, different. Here's what I would say is if you're going to get a ring or a whoop or a wristband or whatever it is that you get, remember something. Sleep is a lot like love. The less you look for it, the more it shows up. If you're looking for a partner, you're never going to find one. And then the second that you stop, a person wanders into your life. The same holds true with sleep. You don't need to put that level of pressure on yourself. It's a natural process. We can all do it. I promise you. Mm -hmm. There are very, very few people in this universe where their sleep switch is broken. And if that happens, that's actually a fixable thing as well. I want people to understand that while you can track it, and I don't say you shouldn't track it. I mean, there might be some very valuable data that right. you can receive. At the end of the day, relax, go to sleep. I promise you it'll work. And to be fair, look, I have bad nights of sleep. I'm the sleep doctor. If something's going on with my daughter and I'm unhappy about it, I'm just not going to sleep well. It doesn't matter what trick I use. I could take a sleeping tablet and I could still be wide awake because I'm stressed out about my daughter. That's a human thing. Everybody needs to allow themselves to be human number one. And number two is just create an environment and a behavioral environment that's conducive to sleep. I believe that sleep is a performance activity. So a lot like sports. So if you're a runner and you've got the right shoes and the right outfit and the right music, you perform better. It's just how it is. The same holds true with sleep. So what do you think of chili pads? I love them. I think they're great. I think they're especially helpful for menopausal and postmenopausal women because of the hot flashes. I definitely see the utility there and I think they're doing a great job with it. They just came out with a cooling weighted blanket. Yes, yeah, I just saw that uh, and a pillow. Which looks pretty interesting as well. I think there's some utility there, especially if you and your partner prefer different sleeping temperatures. Right. It can be very helpful. Also, the thing I like about the chili pad is it's not just cold, but in the wintertime, you can turn it to warm. Can I ask you a question about dreaming, dreams? Of course. So when we talk about dreams and dreaming, there's a lot of different ways that we can go down that path. I'm a scientist, and so I like to go down the path of data. There are people out there that will do what's called dream interpretation. I don't do dream interpretation. What I can tell you is you are the best person to interpret your own dreams. So if you sit with a trusted partner, a pastor, therapist, somebody like that, and you talk about what's involved in your dream, in most cases, you know exactly what that reference is and what that's kind of going through. Dreams in and of themselves are quite interesting. We think that dreaming is actually the process of moving information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. So when data comes in through our eyes and our ears and our mouth and our nose, our brain has to make a decision. Do we keep this data because we need to retrieve it later on to answer a question or do something? Or did we just experience that and we want to toss it? That process appears to happen during stages three and four sleep. During stages three and four sleep, we make this differentiation of stuff we want to get rid of and stuff we want to keep. During REM sleep, we move information that keep stuff from short-term memory into long-term memory and we kind of lock it in. The process of moving that information is what we think dreaming is. So here's the thing that's really interesting about dreaming. It usually has to do with something that's gone on in your life. What your brain is trying to do is it's trying to take this piece of data and find the right filing cabinet find the right file drawer, and then find the right file to put it in. Unfortunately, our organizational substructures inside our brain 
Our brain has thousands of pieces of information coming in every single second. So sometimes it doesn't get it right. So if you have a dream where you walked into your kitchen and your dog is eating a bowl of spaghetti with your second grade teacher and you don't know why, the likelihood is that your dog jumped on your bed in the middle of the night. Maybe you had Italian for dinner and your second <laughs> grader is talking about their teacher, which reminded you of your teacher. That's where it all kind of fell into place, right? And that's where that bizarre nature of the dreams kind of come from. And dreaming in and of itself, we think is an important process. We are completely paralyzed during our dreams. This mechanism is set so that we don't act out our dreams, but there is a very serious sleep disorder called REM behavior disorder. And with REM behavior disorder, one of the things that that paralytic mechanism doesn't work. So people actually act out their dream. This can be incredibly dangerous, both for the sleeper as well as the bed partner. I had one case where I had one gentleman who, without realizing it, almost killed his wife in their sleep. So he was a hunter. And if you're a hunter, you know that if you shoot a deer and you don't kill it, you have to either slit its throat or crack its neck. It's the most humane thing to do. He woke up with his wife's head oh, ready God. to crack oh, her neck. And she's like screaming and, you know, this whole thing. So the first question everybody is always asked, like, did he kill her? No, he did not kill her. The second question people always ask, are they still married? <laughs> yes, they are. She is a very patient woman. Yeah. Um, and we found one medication that actually completely stopped that behavior in its tracks. But here's the most interesting thing to tell you about this. In 35% of cases of people with REM behavior disorder, it's a precursor for Parkinson's syndrome. This gentleman was one of those people. We got him into treatment like 10 years ahead wow. of schedule, only because we saw this weird stuff going on in his sleep. And so the point I'm making here, aside from the fact that REM is kind of cool and dreaming is kind of interesting, is these are windows into our health and we have to be aware of them. And so if we're having crazy dreams, what's going on? If we're moving around a lot in our dreams, what could be happening? When you're thinking about your sleep, number one, you should think about your sleep. When you notice things that are not the way you think they should be, investigate. I mean, I'm telling you something, the five steps that I gave at the beginning of this talk, if you just do those five things, it should knock out like 80% of what's going on for you. The other 20% is where I can work to fine tune things. Sometimes people, turns out that they end up having a sleep disorder, like undiagnosed sleep apnea, narcolepsy, periodic limb movements. Sometimes we can get them into those situations and, and get those treated. Sleep is complicated, but at the end of the day, it's manageable. So here's the good news is you may or may not ever have to see a sleep specialist in your life, but you definitely want to think about your sleep and think about the routine aspect of your sleep. Think about the consistency of your sleep and just think about being healthy about your sleep. You know, we all know how to eat healthy. We all know how to exercise healthy. We need to think about how to sleep healthy. So when you say this most important thing, stick to the sleep schedule of waking up the same time every morning, does that matter what time you go to bed at night? Do you care about that? Or what you're saying there is get, your, get yourself used to waking up at that same time every day. Every day. And then you'll eventually go to bed earlier and find your exactly. natural rhythm. Exactly right. That makes now, sense. Now, sometimes in the beginning, people have to force that. So they have to set an alarm. Right. Then they kind of count okay. backwards and make sure that they're getting enough sleep. But it, honestly, it only takes about three weeks. As children, you know, they sleep like a baby. You know, children sleep Absolutely. like babies. As we age, it's not an aging thing that you're not sleeping, is it? Or you were saying, I guess you do start. Remember, melatonin begins to slow. 
Also, the other thing that we see is medical frailty increases, right? So when we're younger, our bodies are fit and ready and we don't get affected by nearly as much. As we get older, we see other things happening, things like pain, that things like anxiety, things like depression. As we get older, those increase in frequency and those all have effects on sleep for sure. Very quickly, sleep in Alzheimer's and dementia. What do you have yep. to say about that? So there's a lot to say about yeah. that. When we look at memorial deficits, when we look at the aging diseases, the Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, sleep is a major contributor to those. Sleep deprivation has very high links to that. So as an example, I'm going to unpack a different kind of topic on this. So as an example, when people go to the drugstore and they buy over-the-counter sleep aids, so like the PMs of the world, those PMs, all they have is Benadryl. That's what the PM is. It's just oh. Benadryl. It's called diphenhydramine. That's the same compound that's in Benadryl. Here's what's interesting about that. There's now data to suggest that long-term use leads to Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's. Nobody's talking about that. People are using these pills every single night for years at a time. We know that there's a link between poor sleep and Alzheimer's dementia. We know that there's a link between Benadryl and dementia. We don't know exactly what causes what, but we know there's a link there. Also, we know that in most cases, for example, with Alzheimer's, if you've ever experienced an individual with Alzheimer's, what happens when the sun goes down? They get agitated, what's called sundowners syndrome. This is a direct link to their circadian rhythms. And one of the things we can do is we can use melatonin and light therapy, and we can shift that sundowners in a very unique way. There's a lot, a lot of aspects to these memorial issues that sleep contributes a major portion to from a circadian rhythm standpoint, but also from a sleep deprivation standpoint. At the end of the day, this is a big thing to remember. When you deprive your body of sleep, it affects every organ system and every disease state in a negative way. Okay. You are incredible. We incredible. can't thank you enough for this amazing last 45 minutes, but honestly, this has just been so informative. Oh, good. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more, thesleepdoctor.com on the internet. If you want to learn what your chronotype is, if you go to chronoquiz.com, you can learn in about two minutes and you get a ton of great information about yourself there. Or if you just want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, I'm always sending out unique tips, unique tricks. It's very easy to find me. It's just The Sleep Doctor, both on Instagram and on Facebook. So I'm super easy to find. And even on LinkedIn, if, if LinkedIn is your thing. Thanks so much. Thanks for being on Health Gig. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. And this is Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, wishing you sweet dreams. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>